Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. Good evening. Where to begin? The president says the decision on striking Syria is coming, in his words, fairly soon. Also, and this could be very big, about those raids on Michael Cohen, the president's personal attorney. New reporting that the president's allies are worried the feds may have seized tape recordings made by Mr. Cohen. That and this as well. Another alleged Trump-related hush payment comes to light. This one to a former Trump doorman who told a story about an affair Mr. Trump allegedly had with his housekeeper and allegations he fathered a child with her. Also tonight, CNN uh, exclusive reporting on White House preparations to undermine Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. And the Republican Party has just launched a major war against fired FBI Director James Comey in response to his upcoming tell-all memoir, and then, late, to, uh, late today, details from that book began emerging, some revealing, some outright salacious, remarkable scenes from meetings with Presidents Obama and especially with President-elect uh, and later President Trump at some of the most critical moments in recent history, including the Russian attack on American democracy. Randy Kay joins us now with all the latest. So what do you learned about uh, the details in this book? Well, Anderson, according to The Washington Post, in his new book, James Comey says Donald Trump brought up the intelligence dossier compiled a while back by a former British intelligence officer. That dossier alleged that Russians had a so-called P-tape of prostitutes that Trump had paid to urinate on each other and his bed in a Russian hotel suite. Comey reportedly writes in the book that Trump wanted Comey to investigate the allegations. Comey reportedly writes he brought up what he called the golden showers thing, adding that it bothered him if there was even a 1% chance his wife Melania thought it was true. The paper says that Comey goes on to write, in an apparent play for my sympathy, Trump said that he has a beautiful wife and the whole thing has been very painful for her. He asked what we could do to lift the cloud. The former FBI director reportedly writes that Trump had offered varying explanations in a phone call as to why there was no such tape. I'm a germaphobe. There's no way I would let people pee on each other around me. No way. Anderson? Uh... I'm not sure how to follow that, but the, there, are, there are a lot of Director Comey's personal observations of President Trump in the book as well. Absolutely. Comey does not mince words, writing that when he met Trump at a pre-inauguration intelligence briefing, the six-foot-three president-elect looked shorter than he did on television. His face appeared slightly orange, Comey reportedly writes, with bright white half-moons under his eyes, where I assumed he placed small tanning goggles and impressively quaffed bright blonde hair, which upon close inspection looked to be all his. The Post says Comey also observed the president's hands, writing, as he extended his hand, I made a mental note to check its size. It was smaller than mine, but did not seem unusually so. Anderson. What does Comey say about, about how uh, President Trump runs the White House? This is interesting. The Washington Post says that Comey describes it like this, writing that the president built a cocoon of alternative reality that he was busily wrapping around all of us. 
The Post says Comey describes Trump as a congenital liar, an unethical leader, devoid of human emotion and driven by personal ego. Now, according to the paper, Comey likens his interactions with the president to flashbacks to my earlier career as a prosecutor against the mob, the silent circle of assent, the boss in complete control, the loyalty oaths, the us versus them worldview the lying about all things large and small. The result, the Post says, Comey writes, is the forest fire that is the Trump presidency. Anderson. And, and just getting back to that dossier, what does Comey say about how he was chosen to tell the president about it initially? Well, Comey and James Clapper reportedly briefed President Obama about it first. Then, according to the book, Obama asked, well, who plans to tell Donald Trump? Clapper reportedly said that Comey would. According to the paper, Comey writes in the book that Obama turned his head to his left and looked directly at me. He raised and lowered both of his eyebrows with emphasis and then looked away. Comey reportedly wrote that he thought Obama's, quote, Groucho Marx eyebrow raise was both subtle humor and an expression of concern. It was almost as if he were saying, good luck with that. Anderson, this is a 304-page tell-all, so this is really just scratching the surface. Randy, thanks very much. There's late word from CNN's Pam Brown and Jeff Zeleny as well. White House officials telling them there are no plans at this point to respond to anything from the book tonight. People familiar with the matter said the White House and the RNC do not plan to respond to each individual report or allegation in the book, largely because they don't have the book and know less about these incidents in many cases than we do. I want to bring in our panel, Phil Mudd, Gloria Borgia, Frank Bruni, and Alice Stewart. Gloria, I mean, Comey certainly does not seem to be pulling many punches here. In fact, he seems to be kind of poking the president, talking about his hand size and, you know, the, the white circles under his eyes from tanning. Yeah, I think uh, revenge is best served cold, and I think that, that that is partly what this is. I mean, don't forget, this is the president who fired him. Uh, Comey was fired in a way that no one would want to be fired. He didn't know about it. He was halfway across the country. Um, I think he has some scores to settle here. But moreover, I think it really gives us an important hint about what he has been saying to the special counsel and what his testimony uh, would be about this question of obstruction. Here he says, you know, I'm not going to tell you whether I believe this is obstruction or this is an obstruction, but he does give you chapter and verse about what the president was concerned about um, in, certain, in certain areas. Largely, also, by the way, it seems that the president regarded the FBI as his own sort of <coughs> personal fiefdom and that he could use somebody like James Comey as his own personal investigator to help him out, uh, particularly on the on the issue of the of the tapes and the question about whether Melania would be upset about it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, yeah, it gives you a picture of a president who doesn't really understand the appropriate relationship between the, his office and an independent branch of government. Yeah, uh, Phil, I mean, given your experience with the FBI, Director Comey apparently kind of demurred and said that it might uh, not look good for the president if, if it, people found out that he was asked to, to look into this. Does it surprise you? I mean, th that's not a, would, is that appropriate for a president to ask the FBI to do? It is not. Look, I, the indication to me is you have outsiders, that is the Trump team, coming into Washington, D.C. and thinking that the FBI is somehow going to investigate something for the president because the first lady is concerned. The FBI is the chief federal investigative agency for the United States government. They investigate, based on probable cause, violations of federal law. 
if the first lady of the United States is concerned about allegations in the press about what her husband has done, it's not clear to me why the FBI director should go down that path. The indication, Anderson, from that story to me is not just about the FBI. It's about a president who comes into Washington, D.C., and whether he's dealing with the Defense Department, the State Department, the FBI, or the CIA, looking at them saying, I should ask you a personal favor because you work for me as president. He does not understand his responsibility as commander in chief. Alice, at another point in the, uh, the book, according to the New York Post, Comey notes that the president uh, said that it bothered him if there was even a 1% chance that Melania thought it was true, meaning the allegations in, in that, that tape about the, the stuff in the hotel room in Russia, to which Comey went on to say, quote, in what kind of marriage to what kind of man does a spouse conclude there's only a 99% chance her husband didn't do that? Um, I mean, again, that is really harsh. Sure. And, and, and this is, you know, the problem is this is the kind of marriage that the, the, the president has. And, and to, to Phil's point, it's not the FBI's responsibility to lift the cloud with regard to these allegations. And to Gloria's point, this book in large part is about him getting revenge. This is uh, more than anything about him getting revenge against the president for, for firing him. And while talk about the prostitutes in the hotel room in the dossier is going to uh, make headlines and sell books and what people will talk about, the big picture what this book is about. It's not about those details. In my view, the big picture of the book, we haven't read the book, but in the excerpts, this is more about Comey's view about the toxic consequences of, of lying. And it's about the, the problems with loyalty to one person over the truth. And in his view, as the FBI director, having a president try and get him to drop an investigation with Michael Flynn, which he had a huge problem with. Yeah. And that is the overall takeaway from this book. While the other part is salacious and is, is uh, what we will be discussing, I view that as the takeaway. Well, also, Frank, that the FBI director is essentially comparing the president to a mob boss. Yeah, no, I mean, as, as was said in the introduction, there's no minced words here. I think from what we've seen of it, you know, and we haven't read it in its entirety, it's an extremely shrewdly done book because uh, Comey makes a point of talking about the fact that he worked in three administrations. He makes a point of criticizing people from each of those prior administrations, and it's clear he's doing that. So when he then tells you mm -hmm. that Donald Trump is violating all the norms of the presidency, that Donald Trump is a danger to the country, that this lying isn't just something casual, but it's a real threat to democracy, he wants you to see him as someone who's willing to criticize a wide group of people who comes at this with great depth of experience, with a breadth of view. Um, and I think he does a lot in this book to bolster his credibility as he makes this case against Donald Trump. Yeah. Phil, you were shaking your head. Yeah, I don't agree with that. Look, there are two books here. There's a book by someone who is at the core of decision-making by, by a flawed president. That decision-making involved the president trying to intercede in conversations about investigations that his staff and maybe he himself were involved with. And meanwhile, we get the former FBI director commenting on the president's hand and whether his hand was small and whether he had a tan and moons under his eyes. If I were the FBI director, I would have said, look, if you want to inform the American people about what's happening in America, stick with the facts and be careful about being seen as partisan. It's two books, and I'm afraid the second book, The Salacious Stories, is going to divert from the first book. How is this president as a national security leader? Gloria, I mean, it does provide ammunition to those who, you know, sure. obviously in the GOP and elsewhere who are going to want to, uh, you know, come after Comey hard uh, to Phil's to point. Uh, it's not, you know, sort of straight down the middle. Even the idea of writing a book like this so soon after serving in an administration, you know, revealing behind the scenes details and stuff. You know, rubs people the wrong. Yeah, some people I, you know, I, I I agree with Phil. I I think you walk a fine line here, but I think that Comey may appear more partisan than he should want to appear, 
because these are very serious issues he's dealing with about separation of power, about the toxicity that he believes emanates from this White House throughout the government, stemming directly from the president. And those are those are serious charges and serious issues. Um, and then when you talk about, well, I was kind of looking to see what size his hand was, you know, it it doesn't it's, it's just not funny. It's it's kind of like either you're serious or you're not or, or you're not serious about this. And I, I think that Comey is trying to raise a lot of ethical issues here, not only in the way he was treated, but in the way people have to pay fealty to Donald Trump if they work for him, even if they believe that he is not telling the truth. And those are really, really important issues. So the question I have is, and again, we haven't read the whole book, so we need to do that, is why would you diminish those very serious points with other things. And I think that's part of what sells books. Clearly those details about the hands and the, the suntan, uh, those, were, those are going to be the things that people will pick up on. But in my view, what we're hearing about the overall context, the, the loyalty, the, the obedience to uh, someone that has a loose association with the truth, but also in my view, this is Comey's way of, of, of making a stand for the FBI, which for a president that he viewed constantly undermined the law enforcement right. arm of the yeah. FBI and, and many of our law enforcement agencies. And this is his way of, of setting the record straight about a president that he views has we, been attacking the FBI. Yeah, we, also, we also don't know how much real estate, the, the stuff about right. the color of his face, the hands. We've seen... We've right, seen that people, stuff is sent out to... We've, right. seen people, we, we've seen journalists tease out right. the stuff that is the most salacious and the most gossipy right. because that's what we put in our articles. That could be a very, very minor right. portion of the real estate. The, 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 he, does go, he does go on... Uh, the Washington Post quotes Comey writing, they lose, uh, talking about um, liars in the White House, they lose the ability to distinguish between what's true and what's not. They surround themselves with other liars. Perks and access are given to those willing to lie and tolerate lies. This creates a culture which becomes an entire way of life. I mean, pr- pretty stunning, pretty stunning stuff. Um, right. Yeah. Gonna- I think he thinks it's toxic. I think he thinks it's a toxic administration and he wants to sort of get that across. What we, what we also know, and we have to read in this book, is Comey's defense of himself and what he did during the election uh, to hurt Hillary Clinton's chances for re-election by, uh, by releasing information about investigations into her email. And I haven't read that yet, but I'm very curious about what he's going to say about himself because he has been criticized extremely um, by Democrats on that. There's clearly a self-serving dimension to the book because we know that he says Obama turned to him. He he recounts Obama turning to him and sort of basically saying, I know you tried your best. He recounts Chuck Schumer coming up to him with tears in his eyes saying you were in an impossible position. So for sure, uh, some of this book is going to be read as extremely self-regarding and maybe less credible for it. But I think from what we've seen, it's also this book equal parts cry from the heart and sort of existential sigh of concern about what he sees happening in the White House and who, Mm. who he sees in inhabiting the White House. We've got to take a quick break. Uh, More on this, including Director Comey's account of a critical conversation with John Kelly and why he counseled him, uh, why Kelly counseled uh, Comey, or excuse me, why Comey counseled Kelly to stay on the job. Later, a CNN exclusive, what we're learning about new White House planning to undermine Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. 
Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high-quality, stylish frames and state-of-the-art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. Talking tonight about James Comey's memoirs, A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership. Excerpts have been released. The salacious parts are no doubt getting a lot of attention. There's also the picture he paints of the president and the people around him. Here's a bit more of John Kelly, then Secretary of Homeland Security. Comey writes, he said he was sick about my firing and that he intended to quit in protest. He said he didn't want to work for dishonorable people who would treat someone like me in such a manner. I urge Kelly not to do that, arguing that the country needed principled people around this president, especially this president. Uh, back now with the panel. You know, Frank, it's going to be interesting to see what the response of the president is. I mean, the, the, the RNC are the ones who are officially you know, going to be launching broadsides against Comey. Uh, but what is the White House and what is the president himself going to be saying? Well, there's, there's, there's no chance in the world that over the next days the president doesn't tweet something about this because he has clearly shown he's willing to go after James Comey. Just Monday, you know, in that kind of meltdown at the White House uh, about the Mueller investigation, he made a point of digressing to talk about what a horrible person Comey is. And I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch over the next week the president's behavior because over the last week, over the last month, federal officials, the FBI, the Mueller investigation, all of it has poked ever deeper into recesses of his life that he never expected to be invaded. And now this book comes out and is telling tales on the White House, and I think it's got to make him feel very exposed and very defensive. He'll he'll be able to to have a little uh, breathing room uh, with regard to responding to this, given the he's getting a lot of support from the RNC and members of the Republican Party. I talked to a lot of members of Congress who they have the president's back on this and, and they are fully pushing back on Comey. They say that he has a history of contradictory statements. They say he has uh, acted in ways that violate the DOJ protocols. And they are constantly reminding people about the many Democrats who are now supporting Comey that have asked for him to res- resign when he uh, brought up the Hillary Clinton investigation. Nancy Pelosi, Harry Reid, Bernie Sanders, and all of them. So the Republicans will push back for Trump. And I'd like to think he can show a little restraint and not tweet and comment on this because he's going to have a lot of cover. Phil, I mean, what do you think the, the objective, I mean, again, we have not read the entire thing. And, and again, it's only excerpts and those are often the most uh, sort of headline grabbing. But wh- what do you think the, the objective for Comey is in this book? I think there are two objectives. Number one, reporting, as the FBI has done since its inception in 1908, about the facts of what he's seen at a historic moment in American history. I think there's a second objective that I'm still struggling to understand, Anderson, and that is when James Comey spoke about Hillary Clinton, when he spoke in a hearing, and I I think this was an element of his hearing in the spring of last year about Huma Abedin, months, many months after she had been cleared about her email relationship with her husband, Anthony Weiner, he came across not as just the chief federal investigator, chief federal law enforcement officer in the United States, but as sort of the school principal for America. I have views on Hillary Clinton. We decided not to charge her. Here are my views on how she treated national security information. We're seeing the same thing again. He's got views on the president, some of which relate appropriately to an investigation, some of which relate to his personal views about whether he thinks the president was moral or amoral. I'm not sure I agree with that, but I think we're going to see James Comey as school principal. That's what we got in part of this book. 
Gloria, one of the things uh, that he writes, again, according to The New York Times, uh, which I thought was interesting, Comey says that he never saw uh, President Trump laugh, uh, a sign, according to Comey, of, quote, deep insecurity, his inability to be vulnerable or, or to risk himself by appreciating the humor of others, which on reflection is really very sad in a leader and a little scary in a president. Yeah, I, look, I mean, not, a lot of us have not seen a lot of self-deprecating humor coming from this president. And he's free. Look, he, he, this is a personal memoir, so he's free to, to make whatever remarks he wants. That, you know, honestly is less interesting to me than the questions about what the president said to him when about uh, General Flynn and, and others and his uh, meeting with Jeff Sessions, which he also writes about because he clearly told Jeff Sessions, you need to get between me and the president. You know, you cannot leave me alone with the president. And, and let me make it, you know, just one more comment about the context into which this book is now appearing is not in a vacuum. We have stories now about um, his the president's personal lawyer's office being raided, which has enraged the president. We have stories coming out in publications about the president's extramarital relationships. Uh, Stormy, Karen McDougal, you know, go on and on. We have the president now, we know, asking James Comey to disprove this story uh, about women in Russia. You, you, you put all of this together and then the Comey book coming out, which the president will hear a lot about if he doesn't read it, will hear a lot about. And, and this is going to create this incredible storm inside the White House and inside the president's head about how to react and how to lash out. At the same time, we are clearly considering some sort of action in Syria. The president has a meeting with North Korea coming up. Is he going to testify uh, in his own defense before the special counsel? And I think when you when you when you put all of this together, it's kind of a stunning yeah. maelstrom. Yeah, it's it's certainly yeah it is. But, but there's also yeah. there's also a little bit about there's so much as Gloria says the volume is so much it has become white noise to people out in middle mm. middle America. I speak to GOP groups across the country. It is white noise. They they look at this as yet another uh, incident of of what we knew about the president before he was elected president and he was still elected president. They are concerned with what is he doing to create jobs and to provide tax cuts. And middle Americans really are not super focused on this right now as long as they're creating jobs and keeping America safe. So they're really watching what he does with Syria. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Gloria just called it a storm. It feels like it tonight. Next, did Michael Cohen, the president's personal attorney, make uh, audio tapes of his business on behalf of President Trump, his private his conversations on the phone? Does the FBI now have them? We have new reporting on that. Also, a CNN exclusive how the White House is preparing to try to undermine the credibility of Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com CNN. In advance of the Comey book, or at least in what everyone thought was in advance of it, the Republican National Committee launched a website aimed, it seems, at besmirching him. Lion Comey is the name of it. No G, just Lion Comey. And on top of that, CNN has learned that the White House is gearing up for war against Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. Our Sarah Murray joins us now with the exclusive. So what have you learned about, about these talking points? 
Well, Anderson, sources familiar with this say there was at least a preliminary plan that the White House was developing to try to discredit Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. And of course, this comes at a time when President Trump has been weighing whether or not he wants to fire his Deputy Attorney General in the wake of these raids against Michael Cohen. Now, they've come up with a couple different lines of attack against Rosenstein. The broad idea is that he's too conflicted to oversee the Russia investigation. They point to the notion that Rosenstein was behind this memo that President Trump ultimately used to justify his decision to fire James Comey. Uh, But somewhat illogically, they also point to another reason. The White House uh, made the case that Rosenstein and James Comey are actually good friends. And so the reason Rosenstein has approved this sort of ever-expanding probe against President Trump is to try to get some retribution for the fact that his good friend James Comey was fired. A source who's familiar with their relationship between Rosenstein and Comey says, yes, they were colleagues, but they weren't exactly besties. They weren't exactly close friends. When I spoke to a White House spokesperson about this this evening, this person said, look, this this effort against Rosenstein, this is not a coordinated effort coming from the White House. They tried to downplay this messaging and say this is not the same as what you're seeing when it comes to James Comey, which was a coordinated effort with the Republican National Committee. I mean, if that's not true, and this is, you know, coordinated messaging, sending out talking points, it does just sound like they're just trying to lay the groundwork for firing Rosenstein. Well, I certainly think that there are a number of White House aides who remember what it was like the day the president decided to fire James Comey, where they essentially had to come up with the reasoning after the fact about how they were going to explain that. I think they've had a number of surrogates, allies of the president outside of the White House, who we've seen publicly making the case the president should fire Rod Rosenstein. They're not all doing that in coordination with the White House, but people want to be prepared if the president ultimately decides to go that route. How are they going to justify it? How are they going to explain it? And I think these are sort of the inklings of, of maybe that reasoning. The question is, will the president read those memos? Because uh, with Comey, obviously, when the White House came out that night to explain why he had been fired, basically the next day, the president completely contradicted what they said, that it was about Russia. It wasn't uh, about Hillary Clinton as they had come out that, that evening. So, right. Sarah Murray, thanks very much. We've got more breaking news from The Washington Post. Their headline tonight, Trump's allies worried that federal investigators may have seized recordings made by his attorney. That attorney, of course, is Michael Cohen, whose office and hotel room were and home were raided by the FBI earlier this week. Josh Dossie is one of the reporters on the byline, joins us now on the phone. So what are you learning about these possible recordings? Thanks for having me, Anderson. What we're learning is that Michael Cohen, the president's longtime personal lawyer, worked with him at Trump Organization, still is his personal lawyer, often recorded his conversations. At times, he would even play back recordings of conversations with folks to other people, and he would even play them to President Trump. Uh, and what his allies are concerned about is that when they came into his office, his hotel room, his uh, home this week, uh, they took all of his computers, all of his phones, they took all of his electronic devices, and in those devices were likely the recordings that he's made of different phone calls that he's had over the years. And that's a concerning uh, idea to a lot of people around the president, because you know, you have these recordings. What's better evidence for a special counsel's office other than, you know, actual people talking to each other on tape? So if he made recordings and played them for associates and also for for uh, for the president or then citizen Donald Trump, I mean, I guess it was it known that he recorded conversations? I mean, it must have been at least among some people. Well, among some folks who obviously we spoke to for the story have heard him play the recordings uh, and knew that he did it. I don't know that most people who spoke to him uh, knew that he did it. New York is a one-party consent state, so uh, on recording, one person 
both sides do not have to agree to the conversation being recorded. Uh, that said, uh, you know, the recordings could actually prove to backfire here uh, if they show activity that's deleterious. One of the things we reported tonight is that he opted to this business transaction to have leverage. He would say to someone, oh, I remember what you said last time. I actually have you on tape. In political conversations, he would play the recordings for President Trump. He would talk to different people uh, about the president, and then he would show the recordings and let the president hear. I guess he wasn't the president at the time, but now the president hear the recordings. Uh, So whether the people on the other end knew they were being recorded or not, it's unclear, it's unlikely, uh, but he was recording them. So these were both uh, conversations about politics he might have, although he didn't have an official role in the campaign, uh, but also about business and legal matters? Right. Well, Michael Cohen was intricately involved in the campaign and the president's business relationship. It's hard to overstate the amount of influence he's had in the president's life. He's been his fixer, as obviously we know with the Stormy Daniels state, but other matters. Uh, he has given him advice on politics. He's helped him close business deals. When you look at his projects in Russia, he was trying to do uh, Trump projects over there. Michael Cohen was the point person. I mean, in every facet of the president's life, Michael Cohen uh, was there from politics to personal to business. And uh, he sees himself, he's been quoted as the president's ultimate loyal, as the person who would do anything for President Trump. Uh, but with these recordings, uh, it could give uh, FBI agents and, uh, you know, the Southern District of New York that's investigating, it could give them some ammunition. Do you know, did he record conversations with President Trump or with his, you know, then-citizen Donald Trump? Anderson, that's one of the answers we don't know. Uh, We have no reason to believe he did or didn't. Uh, We've heard in our reporting conversations recorded with others. We do not have in our reporting, uh, you know, we do not have first-hand knowledge of conversations he's recorded with President Trump. So we're not asserting that. Well, Judge Dossie, appreciate it. Fascinating reporting tonight. Thank you. Up next, our legal experts, Professor Alan Dershowitz and Jeff Tubin, give their take on all this, the possible recordings, what appears to be a White House preparing for uh, uh, action or war against Rod Rosenstein. All of that ahead. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Morning, Aaron. Breaking news. The Washington Post reporting that allies of President Trump are worried the FBI has seized audio recordings made by his personal attorney, Michael Cohen. There's also the CNN exclusive reporting that the White House is preparing possible talking points in an effort to undermine Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein. A lot to discuss. Two distinguished legal scholars, Harvard Law School's Alan Dershowitz. He's the author most recently of Trumped Up, How Criminalization of Political Differences Endangers Democracy. Also with us, the professor's former student, CNN Chief Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin. Thanks both uh, for joining us on this very calm, uh, very not very busy <laughs> Typical night. day. Typical right? day. Uh, Jeff, just in terms of uh, the, the Rosenstein talking points, can there be any justification for the White House doing this other than to undermine Rod Rosenstein, leading to a firing? That's the purpose. And and think about how disgraceful this is. I mean, here is the deputy attorney general who is being investigated by the White House, by the people who employ him, solely because he is doing the job he's supposed to do. 
Rod Rosenstein is supervising the Mueller investigation in an honorable integrity way, reflecting his integrity. And that's not good enough for the for this White House. They want to get rid of him. But you say he's a witness. Uh, of course, in the he's firing. a witness. He is the first witness. He's the primary witness. Any decent lawyer calls Rosenstein as the first witness and says, did you write the memo at the time you wrote the memo? Did you think you were obstructing justice? Do you think there was a justification for firing? Did you ask the president whether he had any corrupt motives? It's a perfect witness. And you can't be a witness and at the same time supervise prosecution. But do you really believe so that's many... the, the, what the intent of the president is in, in terms of getting rid of Rosenstein? I'm not talking about, I don't know the intent of the president. I don't know the mind of the president. All I'm saying is that there's a legitimate Reason argument to. that could be made for him, A, to recuse himself, and if he doesn't do that, to go to court and seek a recusal. There's a big difference between recusal and firing. Firing is an act by the president. I would be very much opposed to that. It would be a terrible mistake. But You would making, be against him firing Rosenstein? Absolutely, or firing Mueller or firing anybody. I think there's a big difference between that and his lawyers taking a legitimate legal step that many lawyers would take of seeking recusal. Yeah, Rod Rosenstein that. has been, it's been known that he was involved in writing this letter since the day Comey was appointed, mm -hmm. uh, last May. Where Mueller, have they Mueller, been? Since the, day Mueller was since the Mueller was appointed. Where have they been with their complaints about his conflicts of interest? That's a fair this point. This is a complete... Okay, but it's a completely bogus pretext to try to get rid of Rod Rosenstein. It has nothing to do with Rosenstein's integrity, has nothing to do with any purported conflict of interest. This is about getting Rod Rosenstein because he is pursuing this investigation and allowing Mueller to pursue this investigation in an appropriate way. I'm not even sure... It has an advantage for the president. If if Rosenstein is recused, somebody else will take over, especially now. There's a case in New York. There's a case here from the special counsel. So I think from a tactical point of view, it just doesn't make any sense to try to interfere with the current personnel who are conducting the investigation. If I were Trump's lawyers, I'd be focusing on defense. I'd be focusing on trying to make a deal with the prosecution to have a minimally intrusive series of questions. That's what I would be I mean, focusing excuse me, on. If you've done nothing wrong, isn't the fastest way to get yourself cleared to have Rosenstein to have Mueller complete this investigation and clear you? But you know the old argument, if you've done nothing wrong, what do you care if somebody searches your premises? What do you care if somebody interrogates you? Innocent people also have some tactical advantages sometimes in taking legal actions. But a lawyer has to think hard about the balance, because when you move to recuse somebody, it can have unintended consequences. Uh, this, uh, this idea um, that... Uh, about Michael Cohen, uh, having perhaps recorded uh, Je mm -hmm. things. Jeff, how serious would that be if there are actually recordings with the president, recordings with other attorneys in, in or AMI or the National Enquirer or whomever? It's, it's a goldmine for investigators. I mean, there is nothing you want more than contemporaneous records, you know, actual records of what was said by people who are suspects and witnesses in, in, in a criminal investigation. So long it, as it's not privileged. Right. right. So long as it's not, I mean, obviously they, they are not, they're not allowed to have access to it if it's privileged. But, uh, you know, when you are an investigator and you go in to search somewhere, the more the merrier. More, more emails, more, uh, more, uh, you know, financial records and tapes. Which if you gets have to your point the about problem. the taint team. That's the problem. The taint team doesn't deal and with just the Just explain for, for viewers what a taint team. Here's what happens. They go in and the more the merrier. They pick up everything. They pick up 
things that are clearly, in the end, going to turn out to be lawyer-client privilege information. Then what they do is they give it to a taint team. Who's the taint team? FBI agents and assistant U.S. attorneys. They get to listen to the tapes. They get to read them. And that and team is separate from the investigative separate. So, And then they only turn over the non-privileged material. But government agents have listened to your confession to your priest, to your statement to your doctor, to your intimate conversations with your wife, and to your statements to your lawyer. So I propose legislation. I'm doing a column today, and I'm going to be speaking to legislators about it tomorrow to change the taint rules when it comes to lawyer-client privilege communications, requiring that a judge, a judicial officer, a magistrate be present during the search of any lawyer's office. And before anything can be seized, a preliminary determination has to be made by a judicial officer. Only that judicial officer will listen and watch And if he determines that anything is privileged, no government agent gets to see it. That way, first of all, no government agent does get to see it. There's no leak because judges don't leak. And if it does leak, we know who did it because there's only one person who heard it. What's wrong with that? Lawyers, doctors, priests are not above the law. I want to make it the law. uh, uh, Let me finish. They are not above the law. Their presence, their presence. Uh, offices can be searched just like anyone else's. And there are plenty of reasons to search offices of doctors, priests, and, and uh, physicians. And, and, you know, to create an additional barrier to these searches, I think, is inappropriate. The system is not broken. These taint teams work. Yes, it is true that privileges should be honored. But it, just because you have a privilege doesn't mean you should be exempt from being under the scrutiny of law enforcement. I'm not exempting the lawyer, the judge, and the priest. I'm talking about the client, the penitent, and the patient. It's their rights that are being violated. And there's no reason why any government agent should ever be able to see that kind of material. Well, there's a way the of eliminating it. I mean, it's a violation if a judge sees it, it is, as much as that It is, but it's much less of a violation. You trust judges more than FBI A, agents. judges are more trustworthy. They don't leak. We know that the Justice Department and the FBI are like a sieve. They leak everything. They have a motive to leak. Second, Members of the Taint team with a wink and a nod can communicate effectively. That's how the Oliver North case was lost. We should not be trusting. The ACLU, to its everlasting shame, came out today and justified and defended the search without going into any of these issues. If this had been Hillary Clinton's lawyer, can you imagine the ACLU coming out and justifying this search and defending it? I I, I don't know what the ACLU did today. I'm not familiar with that. I, I think... This was an orderly, fair law enforcement investigation, multiply reviewed by levels of uh, levels of the Justice Department. Let's see what they get. Let's see if there's a case to be made. Then we you're can missing criticize. the point. Maybe there is a case to be made, but it's too late to undo the All fact right. that FBI agents have seen confidential material. Professor, That's what I'm trying Professor to stop. Professor Dershowitz, thank Not you. Not me. Jeff Tubin as well. Coming up, new reporting by Ronan Farrow at The New Yorker about another alleged effort by the parent company, the National Enquirer, to buy then bury a story, a story critical of President Trump. This time, the story involved a rumored affair the president had with a housekeeper in a Trump building, an affair that allegedly produced a child. I'll speak with Ronan Farrow next. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst, Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Reports, The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, tonight, another alleged example of AMI, the parent company of the National Enquirer, paying someone to keep a potentially damaging story about the president from getting out. This time, it involves a doorman who worked at a Trump building and a former housekeeper who had a rumored affair with Donald Trump. Today, the doorman said in a statement, quote, I can confirm that while working at Trump World Tower, I was instructed not to criticize President Trump's former housekeeper due to a prior relationship she had with President Trump, which produced a child. Quite a statement. Ronan Farrow reported the story in The New Yorker. He joins me now. Um, you're not able to confirm the doorman's story. For you, the focus really is this is another example of AMI uh, catching and then killing a story. Exactly. As colorful as the underlying claim is, you know, really the crux of this for many of the sources that stepped forward was reporting was halted, they allege, on direct orders from David Pecker, the, the head a- of this company. A- AMI reporters, quote-unquote, had gone Correct. out and investigated the claims made by this doorman. This company, the parent company of the National Enquirer, had spent weeks sussing this out. Uh, there was a positive polygraph result uh, saying that, you know, look, it seems that in their eyes he had been told this by Trump they administration. Poly- so AMI polygraph. AMI administered a polygraph right. test. Now, that's not reliable, we should point out, uh, in the not eyes of many experts. Yeah. Sure. But in the eyes of the Inquirer reporters that we spoke to, that would usually be a turning point where they would double down on reporting. Instead, this transaction happened, a $30,000 payment, and subsequently, in what these sources described as very unusual, Anderson, a million-dollar damages clause. A damages clause uh, saying that, what, that if the doorman spoke? He signed an amendment saying that if he ever spoke about this, he would have to pay a million dollars. And that's, according to the AM, former AMI people you talked uh, to, According that's to documentation, unusual. according to emails and texts we saw. And yes, according to many of the sources, not a standard operating procedure. So there was certainly an elevated level of scrutiny on this particular story and this transaction. It, it, AMI, have they said whether or not they, I guess they, have they said that they don't believe him, but they still went ahead and paid this money? They have. Uh-huh. So um, obviously $30,000, I mean, it's much less than was paid to Karen McDougal, which is the other story mm-hmm. you broke, $150,000 was paid to her. Um, this came, do, do you know that this came directly from David Pecker? That's what we report as a claim from several of the sources involved. Uh, You know, they say that he was calling regularly about this. Now, AMI, we should point out, has flatly denied that. Uh, A source close to the White House referred us back to AMI, so there's a little bit of an Ouroboros here where they're referring to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, you know, with the raids that are happening and the probes that are happening, that FBI raid this week focusing specifically on finding these kinds of transactions and communications related to them with Michael Cohen, more may come to light about how involved he was. Did did you talk, I believe you talked to some AMI employees who believe that Michael Cohen may have been in communication with AMI during this time? That is exactly what they have said. And and again, AMI is denying that. But the sources we talked to who were on the inside did say that that was happening. Which again points to, I mean, if there are audio recordings uh, taken from Michael Cohen's office and there were communications between Michael Cohen and AMI monitoring, you know, that, that they were working in tandem to protect Donald Trump, uh, that's extraordinary. During an election cycle, which election law experts have pointed out is suggestive of, not sufficient to establish, but suggestive of an intent to influence an election. The other question, and the bigger question, A, is sort of a pattern emerging of how uh, Michael Cohen allegedly dealt with uh, allegations like this, rumors like this, stories like this. We've now seen three uh, three examples, really, thanks to, to, to your reporting. Um, and also the idea that the big picture idea is that if there are more stories out there that AMI and the National Enquirer 
bought and killed that they have files of, that, that's potential. I mean, that's leverage they have over the president of the United States. Throughout the reporting of all of these stories, sources have said over and over again, including sources close to AMI, we're concerned about the national security implications because we have seen how this company uses dirt it has on other celebrities to influence them. And that now may be playing out in their eyes with the president. They use dirt on, uh, they allegedly use dirt on other celebrities to get those celebrities to tell stories about other people? In that case, it would be to tell stories about other people, to participate in exclusives and photo shoots, banal stuff some of the time. But obviously the stakes are very different when this is a sitting president of the United States. It was reported that David Packer visited the White House with a, a, a colleague, a friend of his, uh, who has connections to Saudi Arabia, who has business dealings. You know, I'll stick very carefully to what we report and what others have reported so far without any speculation, but certainly that has been reported. Um, and a string of close interactions have been reported. And, you know, the sources that we talked to did say we think this was a transactional uh, relationship that got deeper and deeper as the election went on, potentially with mutual benefit. Uh, it's a fascinating story. Ronan Farrow from The New Yorker. Thanks very much. Appreciate Thank you, it, as always. Uh, coming up, former FBI Director James Comey says of the Trump presidency, what is happening now is not normal. It's not fake news. It is not okay. That's a line from his upcoming book. And judging by what has already come out, there are plenty of bombshells to back it up. That's next. Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.